Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do. As listeners to this podcast know, typically Megan and I review movies and television shows from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, today we're going to start a three-part series where we look at Picard Season 2. That will lead us to live podcasting Picard Season 3 when we get caught up. So I just want to let you know that if you're looking for a Marvel Cinematic Universe for the next few episodes, it's going to be Picard Season 2. I hope you will join Megan and I in this exploration of Picard Season 2 as it was some great screenwriting, some great science fiction, some great storytelling, great visiting some old friends from Star Trek The Next Generation and going forward. So I hope you will join Megan Doherty and myself, Tom Fox, in Because That's What Heroes Do, the Picard Season 2 edition. The award-winning Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm going to start with a short synopsis of each episode, then Megan and I will discuss it. In Picard, Episode 5, Fly Me to the Moon, the supervisor introduces herself as Talon and explains to Picard that she is tasked with protecting his ancestor, Rene Picard, the woman whom Q had targeted earlier because Rene plays an important role in the future. Q approaches Dr. Adam Soong, a disgraced geneticist who is desperate to find a cure for his daughter Kor's terminal genetic illness. In exchange for a vial of medicine that can save Kor's life, Q requests Soong help dealing with Rene. Seven and Rafi break Ramos or Rios, rather, out of ICE custody, and back on La Serena, the Queen taps into the ship's communication to broadcast an emergency call and lure a policeman onto the ship. Agnes shoots the Queen to prevent her from assimilating the policeman, but the dying Queen injects Agnes with Borg nanoprobes. Picard knows that Rene is destined to find a sentient organism on Jupiter's moon Io, and it is essential that she does not back out of the Europa mission. To monitor her pre-fight gala, Agnes infiltrates the event to hack the system so they can all attend, but the Borg Queen's consciousness is lurking within her mind. So, Megan, what attracted you to Fly Me to the Moon? <laughs> I really liked, first, the very beginning, the breakout of Rios from the ice bus. Any type of heist is always really enjoyable. I thought Seven and Rafi made a great pair. It was a really fun bit of an action sequence. I thought that was a very strong opening to the episode. What was your favorite part? My favorite part was a pretty obscure reference, of course, to start the original series. I'm shocked. Shocked down to my boots. <laughs> I know. And it's, it was the supervisors. That term came from TOS in a episode called Assignment Earth, where someone from the future named Gary Seven was sent back to Earth to prevent countries who were moving towards a nuclear war. And it was the only original series episode that was a, not a trailer, but a, it was supposed to be set up as his own series. And oh. this was going to be the introductory episode. And oh, um, Gary, there was two, two of the female characters are incredibly noteworthy. 
One was because his sort of aide-de-camp was Terry Garr, a very young Mm -hmm. Terry Garr, a very cute Terry Garr. Then the second, at the very end, Gary Seven has this black cat that follows him around. And you see the cat at the end, and it's this incredibly gorgeous woman sitting on the couch. (laughs) And, And Terry Garr's character says, and who is that? And he said... That misses my cat. And you look back and it's a black cat. And this actress was on screen for five seconds, maybe mm-hmm. two. She had no lines. She didn't say meow or anything. And for 45 years, <laughs> her identity was unknown. Really? Yes. And no one knew who it was. And about five years ago, somebody figured it out. <laughs> and she had gotten about $800. For the role, standard pay back then. And uh, in an, another Star Trek series I watch or listen to, they had all of the payment terms and her little union contract and all that. And she was interviewed on a podcast and apparently, and she was had been a model. And apparently she had to sit there naked while they wrapped her in whatever she was wearing <laughs> and pinned it to her back. And it was a guy asking her and uh, so, oh, gosh, that must have been terrible. And he goes, oh, honey, I was a model. That's what we did all the time back then. <laughs> and she's completely matter of fact. Well, anyway, she's now, or at the time she was discovered, she was around 75. And it was just this crescendo of, of windfall of publicity. And she got all these paid speaking gigs, and she moved to the pantheon of women of Star Trek. Oh, Good for and her. that's for, delightful. For one, one role she had done years ago, and had never done really. That was the, not to say that was the pinnacle of her career, but those were the types of roles she had. And anyway, not that it made an impact on me. It's just <laughs> a historical footnote. <laughs> But the line, that's my cat, is one of the great lines. But the Gary Seven as a supervisor really made sense in the context of this episode. But there were two other things or two other characters that struck me. One was the Leah Thompson character because she had been in Back to the Future 3. Yeah, she was on uh, the kind of the, that ethics board about the Adam Soon's work, right? Yeah, okay. Then there was a reference to someone called Dr. Vasily Roshinko. I had that one down, too. <laughs> then you tell us who Dr. Vasily Roshinko is and why we need to bow down and worship to that name. Presumably an ancestor of the Roshenko family that adopted the orphan Klingon Worf, who had such a great role in TNG and DS9. Absolutely. And I guess it was, it must have been TNG, where his human brother appeared. And it was one of my favorite character actors, Paul You typically play gruff Italian men or mafia people or something like that. Anyway, he's a great actor, and he played Worf's brother, his half-brother, because he was human. So that that was a really fun Next Generation episode for me. Yeah, I think throughout this whole se- series, they're really playing with kind of who who was related to who in history. And it's, they really made the decision to make this almost with a really tight-knit group of you know, individuals who stay connected throughout the timeline, which I thought was a really interesting choice. So how did you feel about the precursor of Newt Adamson, the creator of the grandfather of the creator of war, of Data? P- pretty mixed feelings. Eugenicists have rarely been on the right side of history, <laughs> just broadly speaking. It tends not to go well or be done with the 
Yeah, even if the motives are good, not having great outcomes. Arrogant, eccentric, interesting choice, I thought. And especially when you think about... I think there was a quote in one of the very first episodes that he was attributed to him in the dark timeline, the dark present in Star Trek world of the only safe future's human future. I think that was attributed to him, and there's a statue of him right at the going into kind of the main of Starfleet. Very pivotal character, obviously. And I think based on the work, what we've seen of him so far, it's hard to tell whether he's doing this work for love or for glory. And so I thought, yeah, really interesting, but as of yet, unclear. Did we ever know before this episode that Picard had an ancestor who had gone into space? I think we knew that he was, had, he was the only one who had crossed the solar system, which I think implies someone must have gone to space or he would have just said, I'm the first Picard to have gone to space. Oh, I should have said on Dr. Singh, when he's described as a disgraced oh. genesis, is that, that must be a double secret probation if you're a disgraced <laughs> geneticist. Presumably. Presumably. <laughs> I had, a, was, I had a question for you. I wanted to get your opinion on this. Why do you think they made the choice for that supervisor to look like Laris? What, um, what do you think they're trying to do with that? I thought we have a few more kind of references to Romulans, but I thought they were the way they have played with Romulans, the character and how we think of Romulans. And if you quit watching it, TNG or maybe even DS9, you They'll think they're the most evil bastards ever, just short of the Borg, at least until they joined the war against the Borg with us through Cisco's subterfuge. The In Picard season one, obviously, there was the Romulans and their legacy was very bad and they were persecuted, hunted, killed. And that's not the Romulans that you and I grew up with, or certainly not the Romulans I grew up with. And so it's, I don't want to say it's a rehabilitation because this happens in the past, but it shows the Romulans had been different. And at least in the past, and they were, and then in season one, they were treated very differently and Picard treated them very differently. So that maybe the exception was of the time frame of TOS, TNG, and maybe DS9 as well. And that really was the exception, not the rule. But I, I find it, it's not gender bending. It's something, it's like culture and race bending, our perception of them bending. Mm -hmm. And I'm not quite sure what the word for that is, but it's making me reevaluate how I've always saw the Romulans. They perhaps always haven't been bad guys, but certainly in part yeah. season one, they had great pathos. The Romulan people had great pathos. I think Romulus had been destroyed. Yeah, in the first and season. And even if we go back to the last TNG movie where the Reman was the praetor or whatever the head of the mm -hmm. Romulan government was called. So it's there from a character who never evolved in TOS and TNG. We've seen a lot of evolution from Picard season one and now Picard season two in the past. I don't know. Is that too philosophical? No, I, and I, it's, I, I like how they're doing that because they're opening up so many more avenues for different stories. Like, yeah, I think, yeah, it was an interesting choice. I, I like Plainly, they're going to go further with it. So we're only halfway through the season at this point. But yeah. There's one other thing I'd like to highlight. Yeah. Because I don't want to give away too much of Picard season three. But I'm seeing Have now... you watched it already? I was saving it to, like, <laughs> to watch it. For... <laughs> no, sorry. But there's an incredibly poignant scene referencing Wolf 359. And I will disclose that I learned for the first time 
that 11,000 Starfleet officers and enlisted personnel died at Wolf 359, which I have mm. not been aware of. And that, in many ways, that event shaped the Federation going forward in a way I had not really thought through. And we, but it's not simply the, I guess we defeated them, humans defeated the Borg, but that event defined the character of many people. We'll see that a little bit later in one of the other episodes of season two. We talk with regard to Benjamin Sisko, but the Borg Queen is still in Picard's head. And it's always going to be, he's always going to be in Picard's head. And Locutus of Borg is always going to be a part of him. And he lives with that PTSD probably every day. And we saw just a hint of that, that her consciousness is still with him and that rears itself up at the most inopportune times. But no, and since we review that, those two episodes from TNG and refresh ourselves with that, that event really is a singular event within the Federation. And I, in a way, I had not really fully appreciated, even in rewatching the entire TNGs. Interesting. No, I think it's going to be interesting to keep exploring that. And I think, well, just as you mentioned, the Borg Queen and her kind of lingering presence. Of course, we've got the new Borg Queen and her growing relationship with Gerardi. And I was wondering watching this and the previous episodes, how much did Agnes know what was going on at this point, especially in this episode when she made the decision to shoot the Borg Queen so she wouldn't be able to assimilate the guard? Do you think she has an awareness of how much she's playing with fire? Or does she just not know? I think she does. I think Agnes is not just playing chess while we're playing checkers. I think she's light years ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And when I say us, humans, in terms of what she sees, what we saw, what I saw in Picard season one was obviously a woman who became much more comfortable in her own skin, much more with the ability to articulate what was going on in her head. I have been like that where your brain won't stop. <laughs> and it's very difficult sometimes to control that without drugs or alcohol if you don't know what's going on. And I'm beginning to get the sense that she's always been light years ahead of us. And the only way she could deal with that was to have the personality we saw at the start of season one, just almost a, not a cultural. Almost, almost mechanical. Yeah. And incredibly stoic to be all the wrong things about stoicism, but or the wrong lessons from stoicism. But I think she knows, I think she sees, I think she sees it in her head. And I think she's playing the board queen. Now the board queen's very smart and she is playing on way past chess as well. <laughs> uh, I feel like they've been playing it almost like a courtship in a really a, interesting way. Yeah. That's, that's a really insightful way because in many ways, a courtship is a conquest. Yeah, and and maybe Agnes is also seeking a colleague as well as connection. So that's, yeah. I I would say an equal. That's a really good point. Yeah. Cool. Anything else really attract you about this one or interest you or any more questions? That's pretty much what I had for this episode. We'll be getting a lot more into, of course, Renee Picard in the next episode. Right now, all we really know is that Q is messing around with her and does not have full capabilities of all his powers. So he's messing, I think, directly with individuals, which is maybe fun for him, but probably also quite frustrating. So more on that to come. All right. Well, I hope our listeners will come back and join us for episode six, two of one. I'm Tom Fox. And I'm Megan Doherty. Thanks for joining us.
Episode 6, Two of One. With the Queen's help, Agnes gives Picard, Talon, and Rios access to the gala. There, Picard is confronted by Soong, who alerts security that Picard is dangerous. Agnes and the Queen cut the lights and create a distraction by singing a jazz cover of Shadows of the Night. The resulting rush of endorphins allows the Queen to take full control of Agnes's body. Q, having taken the role of Agnes's, or rather Renee's, therapist, strokes her insecurities with text messages and she begins to flee the party. Picard finds her and persuades her to go through with the mission by talking about his mother, who loved the stars and also had mental health struggles. Soong sees Renee and Picard walking together outside and attempts to run over Renee with his car. Picard pushes her out of the way but is hit by the car and knocked unconscious. After returning home, Soong deliriously rants at Kor. She investigates his research and learns that she is the only one who has survived many attempts, tempted clones of his creation. At Teresa's clinic, Talon decides to enter Picard's mind to help him wake up from a memory that his mind is still fixated on. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Megan Doherty back for our continued discussion of Picard Season 2. Today, it's Episode 6, 2 of 1. Megan, what about this juicy episode? I love a heist. (laughs) I absolutely love a heist episode. It's always such a treat when they include one. And this was a particularly fun heist with the different players in the different places, all trying to get into the gala to gain access to Rene Picard and try to, the best of all possible motives, Chirk her up a little bit so that she's able to go on the mission and save the future. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. So the, the premise was the heist plan was really fun. And just all the different people's roles. I love any chance to get to see normal characters in formal wear, I think is really fun. So that was just a little treat. And uh, yes, the kind of the whole setup of the episode, I thought was delicious. What about yourself? I almost thought it was theater of the absurd with the, <laughs> from the movie What's Up Doc. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever saw that with uh, Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, where the MacGuffin gets lost and everybody loses it or tries to find it. But it was like everybody was bumping into her and everybody's saying something to her. and She's just, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone, and gets worse and worse. But I did love the ball scene where they're all dressed up. Mm-hmm. I just love evening dress. I love black tie. I think everybody looks sharp. And mm-hmm. an evening dress and black tie. And then you got the inevitable cover song of Shadows of the Night, which I just thought was great. So that, that part, I really enjoyed that scene. It was almost like a 30s movie from MG. So I really enjoyed that. Oh, but that the um, dress. Yes, that red dress. <laughs> there were some other interesting parts early on, or I guess in the bar scene, nearly falls off the wagon. And uh, for, obviously for me, that's pretty poignant for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, oh, what a great moment when she asked for that soda water, though. I, uh, I love that. That small triumph was so good to see. It was not a small triumph. It was a- oh, uh, you're right. I'm outwardly small, I should say. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, so we had some great references, though. And, of course, they were to TOS. In the bar at 10 Forward is in the back was a diagram of something called the Nomad Probe. And that was a episode from TOS where a scientist named Jackson Roy Kirk created this 
uh, that went off and got damaged and tried to destroy humanity. And of course, Kirk saves the day. So that's a really interesting story. But Tin Ford was near Jackson Roy Kirk Avenue. So that was a nice tip of the hat. But then there was some commentary that suggested Nomad was a Dalek. And I don't know if you're a Doctor Who person. I am a Doctor Who person, and this completely flew over my head. So please tell me more. Yes, exterminate. Exterminate. (laughs) And if you talk to any English person, boy or girl, literally from about age 20 to about age 60, Daleks are the most terrifying thing to them. Of course, yeah. And I've had a 55-year-old male friend who's a barrister, and Daleks still terrify him. And when I want to scare my wife, I walk up behind her and say, exterminate, exterminate. <laughs> With an egg beater, maybe. Yeah. And so she has to get behind the couch. <laughs> and so I thought that was a really interesting cross-cultural reference to Doctor Who. So I thought that was pretty cool. The scene where Picard is leaving with Renee and Dr. Soon tries to run her over and Picard pushes her out of the way, hits Cap Picard and mm-hmm. injures him pretty severely. That came out of the greatest Star Trek TOS episode ever, City on the Edge of Forever. Okay. On City on the Edge of Forever, Kirk and Spock go back to America 1968, actually to the 30s, and there's a woman, Kirk falls in love with her, and the last scene is she's walking across the street, a truck's coming up, McCoy keeps Kirk from running into Mm -hmm. the street, and she dies. And it's... Kirk is just distraught beyond belief. But the world goes on as we know it, and civilization remains. So um, that reference was pretty interesting. And we had yet another Gary Seven reference. (laughs) Gary Seven from Assignment Earth, who's the supervisor. Because Kirk is so badly injured, they do a brain scan to determine if he has brain injuries, which he does. And the tool they use is similar to the tool Gary Seven used when he damaged or damaged a, a U.S. rocket before it lifted off, which prevented it from going into orbit and uh, starting a war. All of that was, for me, pretty cool. I really did. You liked the high scene. I liked the, the ball scene. I did, that was so cool. I loved I when was, it was a little moment and when Rafi and Rios were at the bar and Rios was talking about how great the past is. Right, like in terms of the food and the drink and the matches and the cigars. And I thought it was a really just interesting way to... I sort of indicate how synthetic much of the future might be. I, I thought that was an interesting thing to put in there. Maybe something has been lost for all that has been gained. That was fascinating. Did you feel like at that point he was going to stay? I, not at that exact point, but by the end of the next episode, definitely. I, I think he's going to stay. The, if he can get um, some ID. Yeah, if he can get <laughs> some ID. Tough to get a social security number in America. So the uh, mind meld that we start to see at the end with Talon. No, before we get there, I want to go back to the disgraced geneticist. Yes. Because I, I saw the scene with Soong and Kor when he returns from failing at his mission to keep Renee from going into space. I thought that just, just played him as, or portrayed him rather as evil, evil. Yeah. Not even disgraced, but the true mad scientist was back. <laughs> yeah. Any it, thoughts on that? I think his, his, it's always interesting with this kind of mad scientist, right, and the things they create. Going back to Frankenstein's monster, is it 
love? Is it horror? Is it possession? What is the main driving force of this relationship? And what does the creation think of it? So I agree, he's becoming worse and worse as a character. Probably like most eugenicists, but... Uh, <laughs> eviler and eviler. <laughs> eviler and eviler. But, you know, being willing to commit vehicular murder of any kind, very bad sign. And so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And the way Q seems to be playing everyone right now, just like a fiddle. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues. What else about this episode intrigued or interested you or even you had questions on? See, I thought just this was a little aside and it was after Picard had been smuggled into poor Dr. Teresa's clinic and just the way it, it chewed through a defibrillator. So the synthetic body and 21st century technology, obviously not a really good fit, but I thought that was a, an interesting little aside. And uh, otherwise, I think we, we've talked about talked about the big ones. Other than that, basically, the relationship between the board queen and Gerardi is continuing to deepen, and it's going less. It was becoming less potentially mutually beneficial and a lot more abusive and a lot more control based. So I think that's a bad sign of things to come. I would have to also add, I was really getting tired of Renee in this one. It's like when my eighty-seven-year-old aunt told my brother-in-law after knee surgery, you just need to man up and get going. <laughs> she just needs a man up. And yeah, <laughs> I know you've got questions and yeah, I don't even think you're good enough. But you've come to the very pinnacle of doing something for the world and you just got to do it, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, if you can't trust your own confidence in yourself, fine. The panels upon panels of expert evaluators who have deemed you, you can take their opinion instead. Yeah, yeah. But again, depression is also a hell of a drug. Yeah, yeah, that that's true as well. And we're going to have a fair amount of mental instability in upcoming episodes. So maybe it, just runs, maybe it just runs through the Picard family, and it's just mm-hmm. not something we had seen a lot of previously. Yeah, good. To, it's very possible that it's just like part of their genetic heritage. Yeah. Any other Easter eggs, cookies, or little tidbits that you liked or intrigued you? No, I think that was it for the moment, except maybe just the intense creepiness of Gerardi's eyes going all black when the queen takes over. She's just whew, chilling. I was a little surprised how she just slid right into that Oof. pure evil. Like she was born to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. It's great. It really was. And the Gerardi we saw in season one, she is long gone. And if it wasn't being powered by an evil Borg queen bent on galactic domination, I'd love this look on her. (laughs) It's just not great. Indeed. I guess we're near the end, but I hope our listeners will join us for Episode 7, Monsters. I'm Tom Fox. And I'm Megan Doherty. Thank you all. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Because That's What Heroes Do. I would appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to great podcasts. I hope you'll join Megan and I again for our next episode where we take up Picard Season 2, Episodes 7 and 8. The award-winning Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.